Hey, GeekWire listeners, before we start today's show, a question for you. What are you thankful for in tech? Is there a technology that has changed your life, your job, or your company for the better this year? Or maybe a trend in the economy or the industry that you're especially grateful to see? Send a message or a voice memo with your thoughts to podcast at geekwire.com for a chance to be included in next week's episode. Again, that's podcast at geekwire.com. All right, here's the show. There were lots of people. The food trucks were there. All the restaurants were busy. People were shuttling between buildings, carrying to-go boxes of food. Normally for a reporter, that's like fish in a barrel. Hey, you got a second to talk? But as we know at Amazon, that's not such an easy task. My understanding is that they go through a little bit of media training as part of their onboarding as an employee, and that media training consists of don't talk to reporters. Yeah. (laughs) Welcome to GeekWire from GeekWire.com in Seattle. I'm Todd Bishop, and I'm joined in the GeekWire offices this week by GeekWire reporter Kurt Schlosser. Kurt, it's great to have you here. Todd, great to see you. Likewise. So you've been doing lots of things IRL this week, Kurt. (laughs) You've been headed down to the Amazon campus, and we'll talk about that in just a minute. But first to set the stage for folks, this was a week when we saw the difficult economy really come home to roost. Amazon is laying off somewhere in the realm of 10,000 workers. And I say that with a little bit of trepidation because that number is very squishy. There was a report initially in the New York Times that there would be about 10,000 job cuts at Amazon. And of course, this is in the context of a company with about 1.5 million employees. So it's not a huge amount, but still thousands and thousands of jobs. The way Amazon is doing this layoff, though, is very interesting. They're leaving a lot of the decisions to the leaders of different divisions and groups. And so that means that number is more of a approximation, not even a target. And the way they're rolling this out, it's not a single announcement and then everybody knows whether they're safe or not. It feels like it's going to potentially loom over some folks in some divisions for days, if not weeks. So that's where you come in, Kurt. You went down to the Amazon campus to get a sense for the mood. What did you see and what did you hear when you talked with people on the streets around the Amazon campus? Well, I said in the lead of my story that the only cloud hanging over the place was inside the office towers where those layoffs were presumably taking place. Because outside, it looked like a normal workday. People were joyfully talking to one another as they went to lunch. The woman working the banana stand, the ubiquitous banana stand, handing out free bananas, was blaring music and dancing inside of the trailer by the spheres. And nobody I really ran into expressed gloom and doom either. Uh, One gentleman who told me he worked in the devices unit said he was scared this week. He called it scary, but said that his job was safe. But other people told me they were feeling pretty good. One guy said uh, he was thinking about taking a voluntary layoff. And I'm like, well, well, what would you do if uh, if you did that? He's, he said, what wouldn't I do? <laughs> and he rattled off uh, all these exotic places where he would travel. Tulum, Southeast Asia, he said. Um, so I thought that was kind of interesting. And another person mentioned the voluntary layoff as well. So I think these are people that are used to their skills being translatable to other companies. And if given the opportunity to have some paid time off and then move to another job, It's an option that they're weighing. It's also an interesting reminder that many of these employees 
had big raises earlier this year at Amazon and other tech companies as well, which creates this weird dichotomy between the beginning and the end of the year where you have companies spending to try and retain these employees and then turning around and laying off a big chunk of their workforce. But it speaks to the affluence of the tech workforce. There are not many sectors of the economy where workers would be saying, hey, yeah, let me go because I got the cash in the bank to go off and spend my month in Mazatlan. You know, that is not the reality for most people in the workforce. Yeah. And they're overwhelmingly skew a little younger. So maybe they're at the beginning of their career. You know, it's, it's rare to run into a middle-aged Amazonian who's been there for 25 years and is suddenly petrified about being laid off. These are young people, young engineers who are taking it in stride is what I found yesterday. Um, I asked if they were worried about coworkers or, or other people on their teams. And there was a little bit of that, but for the most part, it was just lunchtime. Later in the week, Amazon CEO Andy Jassy put out a memo about the layoffs in which he said, in part, quote, our annual planning process extends into the new year, which means there will be more role reductions as leaders continue to make adjustments. Those decisions will be shared with impacted employees and organizations early in 2023. We haven't yet concluded exactly how many other roles will be impacted, but each leader will communicate to their respective teams when we have the details nailed down, end quote. Despite what you heard from some employees outside, Kurt, we do know that this is rippling through the company and having an impact psychologically on some of the employees inside. Yeah, I texted with a friend at the beginning of the week when the story first broke, and I asked how he was feeling, and he said he was really nervous. And he said, I wish they would just get it over with because the anxiety is killing me. And that's not a fun feeling. A report I read this week in Business Insider had some sort of internal Slack communication that was that was shared with them where employees expressed frustration about how they learned about the news. I mean, it's not like Amazon had broadcast mass layoffs are coming. I mean, the New York Times reported it on Monday, and that was the first anybody had said anything about it. And so in in these internal communications, people are are upset and saying things along the lines of, is this how you really become world's best employer or Earth's best employer, the Amazon motto, by not communicating with your employees? Um, so that's, you know, there may be a much different vibe inside these teams and inside the buildings than what I ran into yesterday. To your point, Amazon finally did come out with a statement after the New York Times and actually the Wall Street Journal the prior week had some initial inclinations that Amazon was going to make layoffs, but the New York Times really put a pin in it with the news that it would be around 10,000, which made people very clear that this was something pretty significant. So later on in the week, Dave Limp, the head of Amazon's Devices and Services Division, which is Alexa and Echo, one of the main divisions that's getting impacted by these cuts, explained, quote, as you know, we continue to face an unusual and uncertain macroeconomic environment. In light of this, we've been working over the last few weeks to further prioritize what matters most to our customers in the business. After a deep set of reviews, we recently decided to consolidate some teams and some programs. One of the consequences of these decisions is that some roles will no longer be required. It pains me to deliver this news as we know we will lose talented Amazonians from the Devices and Services Org as a result. Dave Limp, many people associate with the big unveiling every fall of many devices and services from Amazon in the 
Alexa and Echo Group. And it strikes me, we've seen some of those presentations go on for dozens of products every fall. And it feels in hindsight like a bit of excess where Amazon had these giant teams, many different product groups working on everything from the new Echo device to a talking big mouth Billy Bass. You know, there was literally one of those shown at one of Amazon's events one year, although I think it was made by a third party partner integrating Alexa. At any rate, there was certainly over the years, a lot of products coming out of this particular group at any given time. And you could see where perhaps it might be ripe for cutbacks. Yeah, we've certainly been witness to that growth for many years now here in Seattle. And I was talking to a guy on the street yesterday who was a third-party vendor, and he didn't want to be interviewed. He didn't want to give his name, but he was had a lot to say. It was kind of funny as he was standing there waiting for the light to change. And he kept looking up at the buildings and the office buildings. And he said, you know, I have an opinion about who should be taking the blame for these layoffs or who should lose their job. And he goes, whoever authorized all of this growth over the last few years? (laughs) (laughs) I can tell you that's not going to (laughs) happen. Wow. You know, we're laughing, but this is serious for a lot of folks. The good news is for many of them, even though there are many cutbacks at a lot of these tech companies from some of the experts I've been talking to this week, there still is demand for engineers and others with technical abilities and experience in the tech industry. They might just have to shift from a larger company like Amazon to a more medium-sized or smaller company where the compensation or the benefits might not be exactly the same as what they experienced in South Lake Union. Well, Kurt, it's great to have you here. Thanks for joining me in person. Thanks, Todd. Good to be here. All right, coming up next, a reversal for Redfin. I wanted a career in IT, but I didn't know where to start. WGU makes it simple. Their accredited online degree programs cover all kinds of IT specialties, and they have valuable industry certifications built in at no extra cost. The payoff? Having those certs back up my degree makes me look even better to future employers. A nonprofit university that includes top industry certs in their programs? I choose WGU. Learn more at wgu.edu backslash IT certs included. Welcome back. It's Todd Bishop with John Cook, and we're talking about the tech reckoning, the techening. Is that what they call it? Has anybody coined a phrase for this one yet? You just did. Congrats. (laughs) I'm sure somebody else has already come up with that. I'm not going to take credit. Okay, John, there was one story that when it came out in Slack, you were immediately saying, whoa, whenever John says, whoa, in Slack, I know that something big has happened. And that was the news announced by Redfin that they're cutting 13% of their workforce. And the thing that made you say, whoa, shutting down their home flipping business, Redfin Now. Now, for people who don't follow the iBuyer market, this has been the hot new thing over the past few years until it wasn't. And the whole notion is that these companies go in and they aren't just helping others buy and sell homes, they're actually buying and selling homes themselves and trying to make money in the process. Zillow gave up on this last year. Redfin was insistent that they were gonna stick with it until now, and it's clear that the Federal Reserve's action on interest rates and the resulting impact on mortgage rates have just really impacted the housing market significantly. And that's what's going on here with Redfin. Were you surprised by this news? I I was and I wasn't. I I was in that I thought Redfin 
was committed to this business. It's a big bet that they put out there. I think think they believed and maybe still believe to this day that they had figured it out more so than their competitors and had a special unique advantage based on their time in the market and the fact that they do operate as a brokerage. So they had they had advantages maybe compared to other companies that have entered the space, including Zillow, which was never operated as a broker. So Redfin was kind of naturally maybe better positioned to be in this business. But that said, I mean, look what's happened in the economy and the housing market in the last year. It's just cratered. So it's just, um, I mean, they're left with this massive (laughs) inventory of homes on their books and they're not selling them for what they bought them for. And it's a terrible business. And a lot of people have talked about this, even when these companies were getting into this, that it was an extremely risky business for when the economy turned. Well, in about April, May, the economy turned and it turned on a dime. It was like turning the light switch off. And these companies were left holding the bag of all these homes that they owned. And we're talking hundreds of millions of dollars. So it's you know, it's a pretty big liability. It's a big risk that that Redfin had undertaken. And I think they looked at the numbers and this is what Zillow did a year prior. And one of the things that's interesting to me on this is that Zillow did make the decision so early on in the process. And at a time when the economy was still humming and everyone was thinking the tech industry and the economy was going to keep high flying forever. And they shut it off at that time. So I think it was pretty interesting to contrast when Zillow made this decision and when Redfin did. But just to put it in perspective, in Redfin CEO Glenn Kelman's memo to staff, he said, I buying is a staggering amount of money and risk for a now uncertain benefit. And I think that just sums it up. It, this was a huge, huge bet. And it's a risky proposition to own this many homes. And especially with interest rates rising, home values shrinking, boy, you're left holding a big, big liability on your books. And that is why a lot of people, even early on when these companies got into it, thought it was risky business for when the economy turned. And when it turned, and it turned as quickly as it did, they're in a bad, bad spot. Here is Redfin CEO Glenn Kelman speaking with analysts, talking about what's next. Falling prices will eventually spur sales, but the immediate effect on buyers will be discouraging. What this means for Redfin is that the only growth we'll get next year is what we take from others who charge higher fees and offer slower service with a customer experience that often breaks the moment an online visitor asks for help. Taking share in a falling market is always hard, but there's a reason we told investors on the eve of our public offering that we were born in the dark. We've run a mid-margin business through terrible ups and downs. After years of competing against companies with billions and cumulative losses, austerity can feel like a relief. The overriding concern our investors have is whether we can get through this downturn without running out of money. We'll pay our debts come heck or high water, and we'll keep growing. Redfin's still regional listing search site can gain on its rivals for years to come. Our rental business can double. Our brokerage's progress on close rates and loyalty sales can send our share through the roof. Our lending and title business can print money. It's going to be a long night, 
But Redfin can still thrive in the darkness. And when the sun rises, we'll be stronger than ever. What do you think of Glenn's I love, I, Glenn's, you know, it's, there. Glenn's, Glenn's a, <laughs> he's so intriguing. <laughs> like, I mean, um, he's dramatic. He's theatrical. He's very different than the typical CEO. Yes. And, I, you know, I like him for that. He's like, you listen to enough of these earnings calls. They can be so dry and boring and terrible. The Redfin earnings calls fun to listen to. Well, this topic not, obviously not fun, is not not, not fun, yes. and they're going through a very hard time. But like, it, it's it's at least emotional, well thought out. It seems real, and it's got yeah. some drama to it. So I guess I like it for that from the journalistic standpoint because we listen to so many of these calls and they're so dry. I mean, contrast that to the Amazon earnings, which we which we often talk about. Um, it's it's interesting. I mean, under the substance of his remarks, we shall see. Yeah. He said, it's going to be a long night. They were founded in dark times. Some of these companies that were founded in dark times do have an advantage if they can get back to those roots of what it was like to be a scrappy underdog company. Now, They've changed a lot in the last five, ten years because they've been – there's been unlimited capital available to them and they could essentially expand and do hire whoever they wanted and do do basically whatever they wanted, including launching iBuying, even as a risky proposition as that is. And so it's going to take a different mentality for both leaders of public companies like Glenn Kelman but also startup leaders – who've had to dramatically switch their mindset in the course of really just a few weeks from a grow-at-all-cost, unlimited capital, hire everybody you want, to this new reality of cut costs, get to profitability, get scrappy, and find the path. And I don't. it's going to be interesting to watch, and I'm curious – whether a company like a Redfin or a company, you know, many of the unicorn minted companies in our backyard that were created with unlimited capital and you could do whatever you'd like, whether they can make that transition. It takes a real strong entrepreneurial leader who's going to be able to reposition a company and the mindset of that workforce for this new reality. I should point out that is a very small snippet of a long monologue from Glenn Kelman and we'll link to the Redfin earnings call for anybody who wants to listen to the whole thing. And I want to be clear, he was extremely empathetic and real in really expressing his regrets that they were forced to lay off so many people and very clear about the short-term challenges that they're going to face. And there was the one moment, the first question in the Q&A was from an analyst at DA Davidson, and he asked Glenn Kelman if they had thought at Redfin recently about just giving up on this brokerage thing and maybe getting into digital media and lead gen. And my first thought was, which person in Rich Barton's executive suite planted that question? <laughs> Rich Barton is the Zillow Group CEO, and that has been Zillow's model over the years. This is the difference between the two companies. Redfin essentially started as a, as a brokerage firm and a way to kick some of that money back to the end consumer and use technology to power and transform that experience. And Zillow, which was founded as a 
media company of showcasing homes and driving leads to to real estate brokers. So they have very different models. And they this was also what was interesting about iBuying is that the closest they came to one another was when they both were running their iBuying units of buying up buying up and selling homes. And now neither one of these Seattle companies, which you could argue are the two leaders uh, in real estate and, and at least in the transformation of real estate historically – who experimented in this realm, both have pulled back and decided that it's too risky and they're out of the game. It's going to be interesting to watch where both Zillow and Redfin end up because everything I'm seeing points to a lot of potential pain in the real estate market in the coming years. And so this might not be a short-term blip for them. And We'll see where this ends up. Just to plant this seed, perhaps with the thought that maybe there's folks from Zillow and Redfin listening, one of my dream sessions for the 2023 GeekWire Summit would be Glenn Kelman and Rich Barton on stage together, moderated by you. How's that sound? I think it sounds great. Yeah. I, I like interviewing both of them. I think they're both really compelling business leaders, very different. So I'm not opposed to trying to make it happen. All right, coming up, Jeff Bezos and Jay-Z. You're listening to GeekWire, and we will be right back. This GeekWire podcast is sponsored in part by Yale University Press. Are you concerned about the rise of AI and how it will impact our society? Every day, artificial intelligence presents us with urgent ethical challenges. How do we harness this extraordinary technology to empower rather than oppress? Nigel Shadbolt and Roger Hampson have written a how-to for building ethical machine intelligence. Their new book, As If Human, Ethics and Artificial Intelligence, is now available wherever books are sold. Welcome back. It's Todd Bishop with John Cook. You're listening to the GeekWire podcast. And John, one of the most popular topics on the GeekWire podcast this year was my discussion with Art Teal, the longtime Seattle sports columnist, about the possibility of Amazon founder Jeff Bezos buying the Seattle Seahawks. And Art had a very tightly woven and well thought out theory for why that might be happening after the trade of Russell Wilson, which is a whole other story. We won't go into all that. You can obviously listen to your favorite sports talk station for more than you ever wanted to know about that topic. But this past week, we learned that Jeff Bezos is in fact interested reportedly in an NFL team, but not necessarily in the Seattle Seahawks, rather in the Washington Commanders. And the report from People Magazine, of course, was that he might be partnering with Jay-Z in this potential ownership. And Matthew McConaughey. Naturally. That's the team that you would expect. <laughs> <That's right. laughs> oh, and by the way, there was the news that the Washington, D.C. Attorney General has filed suit against Dan Snyder and the NFL commissioner, Roger Goodell, accusing them of colluding to deceive fans by lying about an inquiry into sexual misconduct and a persistently hostile work environment. That's according to the Washington Post, which is the reason I wanted to bring this story up. I think this will be fascinating, not necessarily from an antitrust perspective, but from just this 
complicated ethical situation that Jeff Bezos would face if he were to simultaneously own the NFL franchise and the newspaper in our nation's capital. And I just think it's fascinating. Well, not without precedent, though. Media titans have owned sports franchises in other cities. So the Chicago Cubs, for example, owned by the Tribune Company. Back in the day. Back in the day. I'm sure there are other examples if we get our sports nuts (laughs) diving into this. But that's one that immediately comes to mind. So it does happen. That said, I think Jeff Bezos adds a different wrinkle to this given all of his other far-flung pursuits, including a little e-commerce company that he happens to own and the dominant cloud computing company. It just gets to be a little squishy. And I recognize he's done a nice job of keeping his distance from the Post newsroom. So that addresses a lot of the issues. That said, the two most difficult beats at the Washington Post would suddenly become the commander's beat reporter in addition to the Amazon beat reporter, which I know is tricky. And (laughs) we know that the folks in that Washington Post, Amazon beat reporter position, they end up being harder on the company almost because it's an overcompensation. They need to show that they're being tough on the company because Jeff Bezos happens to own the newspaper that they work for, which is an interesting dynamic. But at any rate, this is interesting in part in D.C. and what we're seeing from the D.C. AG, Carl Racine, because this has parallels to what happened in Los Angeles with the L.A. Clippers and the scandal that the prior owner, Donald Sterling, found himself in that ultimately led Steve Ballmer, the former Microsoft CEO, to purchase the Clippers for $2 billion. I will say, I think for Jeff Bezos, this will be a far better outcome than buying the Seahawks. If he were to own the Seahawks, I think it would risk being a repeat of the Howard Schultz era of the Seattle Supersonics in terms of the fan sentiment. And the problem is so many of those fans would be employees of the company that Bezos founded. And I just don't think it would work. I'm not saying that Jeff Bezos owning the Seahawks would result in the sale of the team as it did with the Sonics and Howard Schultz. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying it would get really, really awkward here in Seattle if Bezos owned the Hawks. I think you're probably right on that. But we're maybe running out of billionaires who can buy the Hawks in our hometown. It's not going to be Bill Gates. No. Bill Gates would buy a pickleball franchise before he bought the Seahawks. (laughs) Probably. Probably. We'll see if Bezos makes the purchase. His girlfriend, Lauren Sanchez, of course, you know who her ex-husband was. Tony Gonzalez? Former NFL football player, Tony Gonzalez. So... From everything I've heard, she's a football fan, maybe even more so than Jeff. So it would be interesting to own the Commanders. Maybe they'll change the name. I know that a lot of people don't like the Commanders as a as a team name. Of course, it'd be the Washington Prime. Oh, I love it. Yeah, that, that, would, that would really endear himself to the community if he named it after an Amazon product, you know, shortly after taking ownership. Yeah, good idea. All right. Thanks for tuning in, everybody. To see all of our coverage of tech, science, business, and more from our perch in the Pacific Northwest, go to geekwire.com and be sure to subscribe to our daily email newsletter to catch all of our headlines. Until next time, I'm Todd Bishop. And I'm John Cook. Thank you for listening to GeekWire.